Hey fam, it's Lexi here to welcome you to the You Can Through Christ podcast. I am so honored and excited you're here. I pray these words give you the confidence to know you can do all things through Him. He is for you, loves you, and made you for an exact purpose for this life and the one to come. Stay tuned to find out. Defense of Christianity based on rational argumentation is known as apologetics. 1 Peter 3, 15-16 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. People will often ask you why you believe what you do or wonder why or where your joy comes from. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope you have. When you share the hope and tell others about Christ, we are to do so with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience by letting your character reflect that of Christ. Colossians 4, 3-6 says, Pray God may open a door for our message and to proclaim it clearly. Be wise how you act toward outsiders, making the most of all opportunities. Let your conversations be full of grace so that you can answer anyone and everyone. No one is saved through rational arguments, but by faith, love, and grace. However, God is rational as he is truth. I absolutely love science. I'm an occupational therapist and certified hand and upper extremity therapist, where our focus is about science of the human body, mind, and spirit. I see God in the cadavers I've dissected, in my patients, and in the laws that come with science. We discovered science as people. We did not invent science. God created our minds in order to think through these logical sciences. I remember learning the phrase biogenesis in graduate school. This means life comes from life. So this also references some physics. The only explanation we are alive and created is someone had to create us. Life can only come from life. It is a scientific principle. Also, if there's no God, there is definition, there's no definition of right or wrong because who is to judge, right? When the argument arises, claiming science proves no evidence of God, ultimately what that means is life and ultimately science is meaningless. Only the one who created you can give you meaning. If someone labels you or says what you are, they did not create you. So really, there's no way for them to define History speaks for itself. John 4, 39-42 John 4, 39-42 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with, him, with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This was um, when Jesus was at a well um, with a woman who had many husbands. And um, Jesus, when he first met her, made it clear that he knew that. And so she was very amazed, thinking, how does this man know all this about me? So that was referencing that story. Then Matthew 5, 10 through 13 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Have you ever had food without salt? What happens when you add it? It brings a whole new meaning to the food you are eating. It enhances the flavor. We are supposed to show others how to enhance the purpose of this light as salt of the earth. 1 Peter 2, 20-23 says, But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insult, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did not retaliate, not because what was happening to him was right, but he trusted the Father so much. Acts 5, 41-42 says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin, 
rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. 1 Timothy 4.13 says to devote to public reading of scripture, to teaching and preaching. John 21.19 says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The apostles were rejoicing through their suffering. Jesus literally told Peter how he would die for him. Yet Peter still picked up his cross to follow him. I've struggled for so long to understand how. The only answer I could come up with that my brain does not always understand but my heart does is that Jesus is worth it. Love makes you do some crazy things. This is the thing if you are skeptical, I do have to ask why would the disciples make up the story of Jesus and then die for it? 1 Peter 4, 12-15 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Jeremiah 29 7 says, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. As believers, <clears throat> who runs our country affects us, and we need to try our best to vote for candidate candidates we feel follow God. This is challenging, I know, because as humans, we are all flawed, including our candidates. Romans 13, 1-7 says how God establishes all authority. If you rebel against authority, you are rebelling against God. For those he places in authority will bring terror to those who do wrong. If you want to rid yourself of fear from authority, do what is right and you will be commended. But if you do wrong, you should be fearful. For God places those in authority for our good. They are God's servants to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Submit to the authorities to avoid punishment and to keep a clear conscience. Taxes, respect, and honor are right to pay these authorities. Every single leader could not be established if it were not for God. It does not mean every leader is following what God wants, but God can use them, even their evil, for his purposes and good. God is sovereign, is never surprised by an election, which I have really needed to remember for peace. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, your leaders have to give an account, so have confidence in them and submit to make their job a joy instead of a burden, which will ultimately benefit you. 1 Peter 2, 13-15 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. We are to submit to all governing authorities unless they ask us to deny the word of God or disobey God. Peter was in a similar situation. Acts 5, 27-32 says, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter was clear, my obedience is first to God, then to governing authorities. Notice he did not threaten the governing authorities or disrespect them, even though they may have read him speaking truth as disrespect. He replied to them truthfully, which can be looked at as submission instead of running from them in rebellion. Matthew 10, 32-33 says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. I want to point out, it can be scary to think of times in our lives that we may have denied Christ. Remember, Peter denied him too and found grace. His faith wavered, but was never diminished, and neither will yours. Jesus loved Peter and used him regardless of his wavering in faith because the foundation was there. John 13, 37-38 says, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Luke twenty-two sixty through 62 says, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, today you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. There is always grace. The difference is the repentance. After David committed adultery, we see repentance making him a man after God's own heart. After Peter denied Jesus, he found the courage and confidence to be bold when speaking to others about Jesus, making him the very foundation of the church. I know the biggest question I receive is how do we ever know what to say and how to say it? Luke 12, 11 through 12 says, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. The good news is we are never alone as the Holy Spirit will guide us. When telling others about Jesus, you want to make sure this person realizes you have a sincere love for them and care for them. Once they understand your motives are genuine, scripture is all that is needed. We need to remember only God can change hearts, which takes off the pressure, but we should be excited to be his ambassadors and his vessels. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Philippians 4.3, Paul says, When we are all in the same cause of the gospel, we are co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I've always felt the need to defend God. However, I've realized God does not need defending. Psalm 51.13 says, Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. His word defends itself, and there is no need to feel anxious about how we explain it. You just have to speak it. Even though we will never know it all, we can still feel confident to share the wisdom he has given us to the to this point and count on him to fill in the blanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Many ask about those who have never heard, but God is telling us he has placed eternity or thinking about life after death on the human mind and heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity on the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Proverbs 4.4 4 says, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Part of seeking with all your heart is taking his words with all your heart. This means more than just reading, but with prayer and application. People wonder why they do not experience God just from reading scripture. It works in the same way you cannot know someone just by reading their resume. You get to know someone by talking with them and having a relationship, sharing your deepest fears and dreams. God is alive and active, and someone to be in relationship with, not someone to only study. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Psalm 34, 10 says, But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Deuteronomy 4, 29 says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Proverbs eight seventeen through 36 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long ago, long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth, when there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the, the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing after, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. 
Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Romans 1, 18-25 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Someone may argue, you cannot see God, so he can't exist. The truth is clear. God has made himself plain to us and has been clearly seen in his invisible qualities in what, in what he has made, so we are all without excuse. We are made to worship, and we will worship something that is created instead of the creator if what we are worshiping is not Jesus. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. Even though we cannot see God, he makes the evidence clear he is here. Psalm 77.19-20 says, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Not only is he clearly here, but you see that he clearly guides. Habakkuk 3.2 says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. How does creation show the evidence of God? Think of the tree you look at. Think of the sky. You did not make that tree or the sky. Then who did? Even if there is a so-called Big Bang, who created the Big Bang? Job 12, 7-10 says, But ask the animals, they will teach you, or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Psalm 19, 1-4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. God is seeking you. Every creation, he is welcoming you to a relationship with him. We are without excuse because we and all of his creation are all considered intelligent design. We would be denying our common sense if we were to say those things were not created when we cannot create them or ourselves. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Regardless of what you believe, can you just imagine with me for a second? You need a savior for anything wrong you did in your life in order to receive the gift of eternal life. Do you see why believers and Christians get so excited over the cross, seeing it as the very power of God? Even Paul made a point to say he did not stir up crowds intentionally, but simply proclaimed and worshiped God and made clear what the law says. He strives to do what is right and speak the truth of God while keeping his conscience clear before God and man. There is a balance, and God will help you find it. Acts 24, 12-16 says, My accusers did not find, find me arguing with anyone at the temple, or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues, or anywhere else in the city. And I cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they called a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the, in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. 
So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Even though we may disagree with someone, it does, does not mean we can't love them. Jesus loved those who persecuted and disagreed with him. He even, loved, he even loves us even though we sin. Do not fall into the lie that in order to love others, you have to agree with their lifestyle or everything they do. This is actually the very essence of love when we see others harming themselves through sin and try to steer them away. As an occupational therapist, if I see something harming my patient they are doing wrong, I will tell them. Also, if I know how to treat a patient, I will not withhold this information from them. Why? Because I care for them. If all I cared about was offending them, I would not say anything so that they would think they're doing stuff right and they would temporarily be happy as they, let's say, are in the process of rupturing their tendon. Which one's actually showing love? Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Matthew 4, 21 through 22 and Matthew 9, 9 says God doesn't just want part of us. He asks for all of us. This is to our benefit to truly know our identity. Matthew, James, and John left their lives and jobs immediately to follow Jesus. Jeremiah 10, 23-24 says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Discipline me, Lord, but only in due measure. Many who find Christ say it is as if they were living in a black room, and when they find salvation, the light comes on. The only problem is many of them do not realize they're in the dark room because it is all they know. Even though I've been a Christian my whole life, as I grow closer in relationship with Jesus, I realize the same light continues to get brighter the closer I get to him. God is always looking down on the bench, seeing who wants to go in and take care of his people. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Psalm 14.2-3 says, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. In Second Chronicles, the people of Judah were victorious because they relied on God. If you say to God, Lord, use me in any way you can, He will. You are exactly what He's looking for. God searches for those who want to further his kingdom with the gifts and talents he's given them. Psalm 107, 1-2 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those who redeemed from the hand of the foe. There are many controversies on whether we are to share Jesus' love with others, if it is appropriate and if it will offend. I think what helps me is thinking of the joy he brings and the reason the redeemed are supposed to tell others is we are keeping the very essence and purpose of life from others if we don't. Psalm 40 verse 10 says, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. I encourage you to not hold it in because it is amazing the encouragement you can bring to another and to yourself when you share the good news. Proverbs 15 30 says, Light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Matthew 10, 27 says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Luke 4, 43 says, But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus was sent for the very purpose to proclaim the good news, why he came, and of God's love. We are supposed to imitate him. He is our example. There is a way to share, a timing, a tone, and a genuine, genuine love you should have for the person you share. But if Jesus' very desire for you, if this is Jesus' very desire for you, you bet he's going to guide you in how to do it and when. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Matthew 11.5 says, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Psalm 
71, 14 through 17 says, As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts. Sovereign Lord, I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Though we have not experienced personally every miracle, such as the sea parting or seeing the dead raised to life, we know these miracles to be true and have seen miracles in our own life. One, one of these miracles is being dead in our transgressions and the dead being raised to life in the sense of our purpose and our eternal destiny. Acts 10, 42-43 says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We are literal, We were literally dead in our transgressions. This is why everyone in this world is looking for something or someone to fulfill them, to awaken that spirit when the only thing is Jesus. You will be fulfilled when you find him. Your flesh and human nature continues. You will make mistakes and still have moments of weakness where you feel lonely, less than, and struggle. But your foundation and ultimate being will always have purpose and meaning when alive in him. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I, this is Isaiah speaking, said, Here am I, send me. In 1 Samuel 3.10, Samuel hears the Lord call him, and Samuel replies, saying, Speak, for his servant is listening. Isaiah 43.10-11 says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. God doesn't want to strip us of our personalities when we come to him, but to join him and bring our maximum potential as he gave us our personalities in the first place. You can have confidence you have been specifically chosen by God, and as his child, he has equipped you to talk about your father in a way you would talk about someone in your life that you love and admire. You can be confident just as God sent Jesus, Jesus is sending us. John 20 verse 2 says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Acts 18, 9 through 10 says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in the vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from dark and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says, But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. When we have such a love for God and others, it is so hard to hold in this hope. James 5 verse 20 says, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the motivation for your genuine love for others. Malachi 2 verse 6 says, True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. James 4 verse 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. In Ezekiel 33, 4-9, and 3, 18-19, it talks about if someone does not listen to the warning themselves, it is their own fault. But if the watchman sees the sword coming but does not blow the horn to warn others, the watchman tell accountable. God warned Ezekiel and is warning us, if we do not help to share the warning from him to help others from their sinful ways that will cause them harm, we will be held accountable. However, if we do warn them, and even if they do not listen, there will be reward. Daniel chapter 3, 5-30 is an incredible story of three men in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who did not obey King Nebuchadnezzar as he commanded the province to serve his gods or his image of gold. 
King Nebuchadnezzar told them, If they do not worship the idol of gold, they will be thrown into the blazing furnace. He asked, What god can rescue you then? Yet they declared their god they serve will deliver them from the king's hand. But even if he didn't, they want the king to know they will not serve his gods and worship the image of gold. They were thrown into the blazing furnace. The king made the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In amazement, the king asked, Weren't there three men that were tied up and, threw, and thrown into the fire? Look, I see four men, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon and made a decree no one was allowed to talk wrongly against their god. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed King Nebuchadnezzar and all of, all of Babylon God's power by remaining faithful to God to the point that even if they were to be burnt up by the fire, it was not worth it to disown a God. God remained faithful through their obedience and made good sharing his power with all of Babylon and now all of us today who read this story. Just imagine what God can do through our faithfulness. There will always be another in the fire standing next to you no matter what you face. Daniel chapter 6 has a similar situation where Daniel acted the same when faced with persecution. Daniel was set over the kingdom, over the entire kingdom, over all the administrators and satraps because of his exceptional qualities. The administrators and satraps became jealous and wanted to try to charge him of breaking the law in some way but found no corruption because he was trustworthy. They decided in order for him to break the law, it had to involve the law of his God. The royal administrators, perfects, satraps, advisors, and governors all agreed the king should issue a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being except himself shall be thrown into the lion's den. The king put the decree in writing and said it cannot be repealed. When Daniel learned the decree was published, he continued to go to his room three times a day on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just like before. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors found Daniel praying and asking God for help. They went to the king and said, Did you not publish a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you would be thrown into the lion's den? This distressed the king who wanted to rescue Daniel. But Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Then the king said, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was placed over the den. The king could not eat or sleep. First thing in the morning, he got up and went to the lion's den. He called to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift him out of the den. There was no wound on him because he trusted God. King Darius wrote to the entire earth, issuing a decree that in every part of the kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God that, ens that ensures forever. His kingdom and dominion will never end. He rescues and saves, performing signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the mouth of the lions. Daniel did not care about the consequences, but continued to pray to God. As a result of his obedience, God used him to change the heart of King Darius and the entire earth. He used him to display his power and faithfulness. Even though we can't guarantee the outcome of our obedience, God is faithful. Even if his faithfulness is not deliverance and what we think it should be, every single problem we go through, it will be greater than we can imagine. Obedience takes faith, but you realize having faith is the only way to live to get the best out of your life. In Luke 5, 4-11, Jesus says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything here with their fishing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled, the boat, and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The amazing thing is even when God will bless you for your faithfulness, you will be in more love with him and not focus so much on the blessings. Luke 10, 19-20 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Even if God works out the supernatural in situations in our lives, he reminds us the real joy does not come from the miracle, from the catch of large fish themselves, but ultimately that he's the promised lamb. Matthew 10, 16 says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. We are supposed to stay innocent in the world, but having wisdom and discernment, being in the world, understanding it, but not conforming, loving everyone in the world, but being careful not to blatantly disobey or do something God would not approve. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20 says, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. When it comes to evil, be aware of what it is and who brings it to be in order in order to be equipped against it. But do not become consumed or have your mind fixated on it. Jesus says in Matthew 10 verse 34, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I do not come to bring peace but a sword. 1 Timothy 6, 12-16 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Life is going to be a constant fight, but our fight is with joy and faith, and on God's side, we've already won. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mark 16, 15-20 says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. The ultimate purpose of our lives is to make disciples. How we each go about doing it is an individual journey of following the Holy Spirit's promptings. We can go forth with confidence knowing Jesus, our coach and leader, who has authority over all of heaven and earth. He is right next to us, living in us to help us achieve our purposes. This may sound stressful and like it's a lot of work, but here's the thing. God is so fun to work with. All you have to do is abide in him, and he does all the heavy lifting for you. Acts 5, 17-20 says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. 
Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. In Acts 13.45, the Jews were jealous of Paul and contradicted what he said. When people disagree with the truth, sometimes it can be more personal toward you and they may say things about you that aren't true. Even if others don't always respond lovingly to our words and if the consequences ever become as far as prison, Paul, God had Paul's back and he will have yours. God works as much in a prison as in a grocery store, as in a school, as much on a softball diamond. He is omnipotent and cannot be shut out. In Acts 30, 36, they tried to kill Paul. And when the Roman commander-in-chief asked what he had done, the crowd was shouting different reasons, but ultimately just say, just were saying to get rid of him. Jesus was in the same situation. The authorities and citizens could not find a reason to persecute Jesus or Paul. And instead of being rational, they simply would conclude to crucify Jesus and wanted to get rid of Paul. This is proof of the constant spiritual warfare we all face, as the enemy had them convinced even though there wasn't any logic or worldly reason to get rid of them. They had an urge to do so. We also should not be surprised at persecution that may seem completely irrational. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. According, that was a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. God can and will use absolutely anyone. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. God even specifically called Saul, who became Paul, who was mentioned throughout this book as he wrote many of the letters in the New Testament, who persecuted those who loved Jesus. Acts 9, 13 through 15 says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Acts 9, 21-22 says, All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul persecuted the church, yet God specifically chose him as his instrument. It is just like Jesus to pick someone and change their heart when he not only just chose to deny him, but chose to persecute others who accepted him. For this very reason, I refuse to believe someone cannot be changed, ever. I would not be surprised if this is one of the reasons God chose Paul to show us not only can those who have completely lost their lost their way and have tried to hurt others can be saved, but they can also be used for his glory. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-10 says, Christ died for our sins, was buried, raised on the third day, and appeared to Cephas in the twelfth. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters and then appeared to James, all of the apostles, and last to Saul, who becomes Paul. Paul says he is the least of the apostles and does not deserve to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, he became one of the greatest apostles of all time. In Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias says to Paul, And now, what are you waiting for? I love how God's work began immediately after Paul's conversion. There was no moping around about the past. There was an immediate sense that God chose him and, want, and wants him to get to work as nothing in our past can hinder God. And even better, he can use our past for our good. Galatians 1, 23-24 says, They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. God used Paul's initial rebellion against him as Saul and used his transformation to bring others to himself. He can use the absolute, absolute most horrible situations and acts in our lives or in the lives of those who affect us and use it for our good and his glory, which is the purpose of our lives. Acts twenty two, twenty five says, As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurions standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Acts 23 verse 1 says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Even if you are accused unjustly, 
It will not phase you as long as your conscience is clear where your heart has been to serve God. Acts 25, 7-8 says, When Paul came to the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, they brought many serious charges against him, but they couldn't prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Acts 25, 10-11 says, Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am found guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. Just like with Jesus, the courts could not, also couldn't prove Paul did anything wrong to deserve death or even any punishment. The incredible thing is, just like Jesus, Paul also did not refuse the death penalty, even if it was going to come on him unjustly. The reason is, when you have such an accurate perspective in what God sees and thinks about you, and that is your foundation of your confidence and truth, understanding the end goal, even to the point of death, it can't overcome you. Of course, we continue to strive for justice, but we know true justice is not administered until the end, and even though we should still desire it now, we know he who is just will ultimately overcome. Acts 26, 1-31 says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul mentioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect for our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blasphemy. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and all in Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the, the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? 
Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Even though Paul was unfairly put on trial, he still respected King Agrippa, even to the point of saying he was honored to be in his presence. Even if we do not agree with our bosses, the president, government, or those who rule over us, God has still put them into power and they are in his image, meaning we should still have a sense of respect for them. When Festus said Paul was insane, Paul responded he is not insane and ended calling him most excellent Festus. Notice the courage Paul takes to stand with the truth but continues to respect. I know this can sound sarcastic if you respond this way when others are refuting you, but you and God know your heart. I really think it goes back to your tone. King Agrippa asked Paul if he thought he could really convince him to be a Christian in such a short time, and Paul responds saying time does not matter. They realized what Paul was doing did not deserve death or imprisonment, and I'm sure Paul's tone and respect while sharing the truth helps them realize he genuinely cared for them. Acts 28, 25-31 says, They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, Through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn, and then I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. How does a heart become calloused? Just like hands with lifting, hitting a softball, or playing guitar. The more we lift, play guitar, and swing the bat, the more calloused our hands get. If someone continues to reject the truth and love of Jesus, their hearts become calloused. It is possible for the callous to be softened. Anything's possible with God, but I hope it does not get to this point, as I've seen calluses removed in the upper extremity clinic I work at, and it can be painful, even though it's so worth it. Romans 10, 14-18 says, And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth their words to the end of the world. Jesus is proclaimed throughout the entire earth to the ends of the world. Everyone will hear the name of Jesus and who they decide he is, is up to them. Colossians 1.6 says how the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Philippians 1.12-14 says how Paul's chains, chains served to advance the gospel for Christ. And because of these chains, his brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. When they saw Paul in prison and when he was innocent for speaking of Christ, but feeling of his worth and he was still content, this ignited a spark in others to share in the same boldness. Anytime you have fear about evangelizing, just imagine when you get to heaven and see someone there because God was able to use you. There will be a judgment in the end. And the goal of each one of us is to team up with God to make sure we can help as many people as possible not reach it, according to Revelation 14, 6-8, with more reference to Revelation 6, 19 and Revelation 19, 2. But how? How can we truly talk to others about the gospel? Especially when it seems it is being persecuted left and right, with people trying to get it out of schools, hospitals, and society. God is so much more powerful than we realize and cannot be stopped by human beings trying to keep him out. I had a patient once where we were talking about forgiveness as she was very bitter toward a relationship in her life where she had been badly hurt. I said, only by Jesus can I personally forgive. I explained about the story of the adulterous woman where Jesus says to not stone her as she is forgiven, but because he loves her, he tells her she needs to turn from her sinful ways. 
My patient said she wanted to convert. We can never underestimate the power of developing relationships with others and how much conversations and how we live can lead the opportunity to share the gospel. People will see the gospel and how we live, leaving your legacy that would affect them for eternity. Luke 21, 12-15 says, But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They'll hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you, give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. 2 Timothy 3, 10-13 says, you, ha- you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In Luke 21, 19, it says, Stand firm and you will win life. We can make up our mind ahead of time not to worry how to defend, as the word of God is the defense to all the world of the purpose of our lives and the purpose of creation. It can't be refuted because it is truth and better better yet, it is love which everyone is searching for. Stand firm and you will win life. John 15 verse 19 says, As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. You are in the world. We are to love everyone in the world, but we are not to become a part of the world because you have been purposely chosen out of it. Acts 20, 20-24 says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul was not saying his life is worthless, but saying any gain he could achieve in this world is nothing now that he has found his purpose in Christ. With a true athlete mentality, he saw the end goal, the finish line, and was determined to complete the race set before him at any cost. Any competitive athlete knows you will keep your eyes focused on that basket until you win. And when your adrenaline is going and you are down, you do not feel the pain when your eyes are fixed on the whim. There is something powerful about what happens to our soul depending what the brain is fixated on. How much more confident and determined will we be if we fix our eyes on Jesus? Philippians 3, 7-14 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Savior, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.23-24 says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. If someone were to threaten your life today, If you are a believer in Christ, you can be confident that to die is game. We are to love life. It is a beautiful gift from God, but we hang on to the unwavering hope that one day when this life is over, we will receive Christ's reward and the perfection our hearts so badly long for. When you have Christ, you love this life, knowing God has created you for a purpose today 
right now, but understanding you are only able to do that because you are not afraid to die, knowing it will ultimately be your game. Ironically, the only way to live this life to its fullest and truly enjoy it is to, is to not be afraid to die, being fully confident in the joy that is to come. Thanks for hanging out with us. For more, go to youcanthroughchrist.com. You are loved.